It's my honor and privilege today to introduce to some of you at least uh, Tom Tanner. Now, just who Tom Tanner is in a kind of a static way, Tom is the pastor at Riverstone Church. He is the president of the Transformation Network, uh, he, which is a, the network we're a part of with a group of churches. And uh, Tom is uh, married to Melissa, has uh, Mason and Grace Ann as his children who are both married, and they're both expecting, right? So that's who Tom is. Tom's a great, he's a great golfer and Auburn fan. Thank you. On cue, man, that was awesome, man. I wish I could all give you a dollar. Um, but uh, but who, the intangibles as it relates to Tom is this. Tom is mine and Randall's spiritual father. Uh, Randall was a part of Tom's uh, youth group back in the day at First Methodist. Uh, I was a part of Tom's ministry and then worked alongside of him for several years at the Wesley Foundation, University of Georgia. And, uh, and in those seasons that um, Tom became unbelievably vital in our lives. Tom actually did our wedding. I know he did some of your weddings in this room. I think the Cossacks over here, yeah. And, and, but he did half of yours. Who did the other half? Yes, there you go, right? Thank you, Timothy. Jerk. Anyway, um, I remembered your part, but not mine. That was so wrong. No, but anyway, but Tom, it's one of those things that's interesting. So I say spiritual father, and the, the dynamic that's, that I think that, um, that you should know is this. When I look back on my life, there are those people who have had an impact. And we can all name some of those people, right? I would say this. I would say this, that in my life, there have been maybe two or three men who I say, they're the ones who taught me how to love Jesus and to know him. And that's Tom Tanner. All right? And I think the neat thing about our relationship is that it really started out where, hey, I'm underneath you. You're like the leader, and, and I'm going to follow and do whatever you say, right? I drank the Kool-Aid of Tom Tanner, right? But, but in the time, I began to love him, trust him. I trusted the Jesus in him. And in time, our relationship shifted. And to the point where it became this thing, and you experience fathers and sons where, where, yes, you always honor, always honor and respect the place that he has in your life as father. But that time came, and he said, Steve, I, I now trust you, and I see you as a partner, and I will see you as a spiritual son, and, but I also see you as a partner and someone coming alongside. And so Tom called one day and said, with, which is a huge deal. I trust you enough to invite you and Randall to come. I want to ask you to come and plant a church in this area. And as he called, I mean, I, I said no, right, for at least a couple of years. But ultimately, he heard the Lord in advance, and I said, we said yes in time. And ultimately, we're here today because of the obedience of Tom, his vision of church planting and transforming our community. And so as he comes today, go ahead, you can go ahead and come, Tom. I'm going to pray for him. But, but I want you to recognize that we're here today ultimately, but yes, because of Jesus, but Jesus through this man, that ultimately are Randall and I are who we are today in large part because of him. And, uh, and so thank you for that. And, um, and I want to just pray uh, today. And I, just, I just want to ask that as, as he speaks um, do a good job at laughing at his jokes. That's always an honoring thing, right? Yes. And number two, really listen to Jesus as he speaks. I think the message that he has this morning is profound for the season that we're in. Is that cool with you guys? All right, let's pray. Father, um, I think only this side of heaven 
Tom will know how important he's been in my life. But God, more importantly, I'm thankful for the way that you have anointed him to preach the good news. To be Jesus and to bring Jesus to people, Lord. And there are people, even the vision that Melissa had a long time ago, there are lots of little lights all over the world because of their ministry. And God, vintage just happens to be one small part, this one small light in that mix. And so, Father, today, I prayed a different prayer earlier, but I pray today that he would recognize your voice, voice saying, well done, as he sits here at Vintage. God, I pray he'd be able to delight in you, God, because of the way that you're doing things and moving here. And Lord, I pray today that as he speaks, God, again, I pray he'd have a lot of fun, and I pray that he would feel loved and he would feel at home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Um, <clears throat> I, I was Randall's youth pastor. Oh my gosh! Talk about you know jumping in the deep end. She was every youth pastor's dream, you know, because you turn that off because you want to be challenged, and she was a challenge. And of course, and then as Steve said, he was a student at Georgia and then worked for me for uh, a few years there in Athens. You know, the interesting thing for me about Athens. Uh, being an Auburn fan and working in Athens for eight years at the University of Georgia, every year when Auburn and Georgia played, if Georgia won, my yard got rolled. If Auburn won, my yard got rolled. <laughs> it, yeah, I never, I never figured out, you know, which which was better, because it didn't matter who won. I was picking up toilet paper the next day, so kind of some crazy times. Uh, I love the I love the Hambricks. It's good to be with them. It's good to be here at Vintage. You know, when, when we started the whole idea with the church planting thing, you you don't think about all of the dynamics. You just think about how awesome and how cool it is to plant churches, you know, in an area and send people, you know, to to start a church in an area that will draw people and grow and. And people will meet Jesus. But what you don't think about is that when those people leave your church that go plant this other church, you don't get to see them as much. And uh, and so that you know that's kind of the sad part of church planting that sets in after you start doing it. Uh, and so it, it's always good and exciting for me to get to come uh, to some of our church plants and 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 see people that I don't get to see that much, like like in Sandy Gillum. The McNiffs and Anderson, you know, just all you guys. There's so many of you that I that I, uh, I got used to seeing you on a regular basis, and now I don't. I miss you, but I love what you're doing. So keep keep doing it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about Jacob, and uh, Jacob is an interesting character in the Bible. And and I told the earlier group the thing that I'm learning about uh, studying characters in the Bible. Is, is that you don't learn so much from who they are, but you learn about God you know, and how he relates to them. I used to think that Peter was the great person to study because he messed up so much it made me feel better. And, uh, I, I, but I realize now that the thing I need to learn from Peter's story is how Jesus continues to pursue him. So it's, it's, what, we, it's what we learn about God in those stories. And, and Jacob is, is a pretty interesting story. He he was a grabber from the beginning. Uh, you think about his uh, his life. He he started out grabbing pretty early in life. You know, he, he's in the womb. 
with his brother Esau. And uh, Scripture says there was jostling going on uh, inside the womb. I, I, I don't. I, I've never had a baby. I don't understand that. You know, I don't know what that jostling thing is. But I can tell you that uh, my daughter Grace was a kicker, and so. About eight months into pregnancy with her, my wife woke me up in the night and said, I just dreamed that I had a pony. And so I understand, you know, that there are different levels of jostling in the womb. And, and evidently, Rebecca had a high level of jostling, so much so that she went to the Lord and she said, you know, God, what's, what's going on? There's something, there's like a war going on in my belly. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. There's a war going on in your belly. And and the Lord told Rebecca before the, the babies, before the boys were ever born, he said, you're, you're going to have two sons, and the older will serve the younger. Uh, that was what God told Rebecca. So then uh, birth time comes, and Esau comes out first, and Jacob has a hold of his foot. So at birth or before, Jacob took the position of grabber. Now, let me just say that grabbers are not really good for relationship. They really aren't. And, and all of us have either been a grabber or we've been, you know, we've known grabbers. But you, you know what a grabber is. They, they want what they want, but, and that's okay. But the, the real issue is that they want what you have. And so, they, you know, they're always grabbing. And, and, and it's not that God doesn't want grabbers to have stuff. But he wants to give it to them. And a grabber is not willing to wait for God to give him stuff. He just wants to grab it. Because he wants what he wants and he wants it now. The interesting thing about this story is that God and Rebecca and Jacob all wanted the same thing. Have you ever thought about that? It's crazy. God wanted the same thing that Rebecca and Jacob wanted. But it's not enough just to want what God wants. You have to be willing to receive it the way he wants to give it. You have to be willing to wait for it. You have to be willing to enter into the process that he has in place to develop you for receiving it so that you can walk in it. Now, Jacob wasn't willing to do that. Jacob wanted to grab for it. He wanted what God wanted. He, he wanted actually what God had already told his mom he would have. But he wasn't willing to wait for it. So Jacob was a grabber. He grabbed for the birthright. You know the story of the birthright. He comes in, uh, or his brother comes in from hunting one day and says, I'm about to die. You, that's, I think that's where the phrase, I'm starving to death, started. I'm about to die. Give me something to eat. Jacob's cooking up some soup. And he says, how about some soup? I would love some soup. Okay, give me your birthright. All right, let me put this in perspective. <laughs> you come in one day, you're the oldest, you know, your younger brother, your younger sister is going to stand at the stove, stirring the Campbell's, you know, chicken noodle maybe, and, and it's, you know, it's getting to eating temperature, and you walk in and they say, oh, I'd love some soup. And your, your brother says to you, well, I'll give you some soup, but what you need to give me is your inheritance, you know, your college education, uh, you know, everything that mom and dad have set aside for you, you know, all of that, everything, your future, 
uh, your opportunities, your career, your destiny, uh, basically the mark that you, know, you believe that God has for you, all of that comes to me, and in return you get a bowl of soup. Really? And Esau says, okay. So he takes the soup. Later on, Jacob pulls the same stunt with the blessing. So he's got the birthright. He's grabbed at birth for the ankle, wants to be the firstborn, but he's not. He grabs for the birthright. Now he's going to grab for the blessing. And so he, he deceives the father. You know the story. He convinces the father that, that he is actually... Uh, Esau, and so he gives the blessing that belongs to Esau to Jacob. And Esau comes in, and he is livid. At this point, he's lost everything. His brother has stolen from him everything that was rightfully his, and he wants to kill his brother. And mom steps in, and she says to Jacob, you, you need to leave for a couple of days. Really? A couple of days. You, you think, mom, you think that's going to do it? A couple of days? No, this man wants to kill him. But moms always think the best for their children, you know. So she thinks, oh, a couple of days, Esau will come around. So Jacob sets out on a journey that his mom thinks is going to be a couple of days. It actually takes 20 years. 20 years. And so we're going to, we're going to look at that today. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. We will start at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. When its top, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar 
will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that that your word is true. And and not only is it true, it's alive. And we just pray that you, Lord, would speak today through your word. And that we would receive. I, I ask you to give us ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, there's, there's no one in this room who, who needs to hear from me. But everyone here needs to hear from you. And so we ask you to speak. And that you would allow us to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so Jacob's on this journey. He's, he's left. He's, he's basically running for his life. And, and he's, he's going along. And you've you got to understand that he's not in a real great place. You know, spiritually or emotionally, uh, he's, he's wandering, he's running for his life, he's lonely, uh, he's hurt, you know, I'm sure he's, he's regretful. And it says that he comes to a certain place and, and decides to sleep. Now, this is the, the reason that he stopped at this place. It's not because he walked into this place and all of a sudden thought, wow, what an awesome place. This is the house of God. This is a portal to heaven. That's not what made him stop. That, that comes later. You, you know what made him stop? It was dark. That was all. He's walking along. He's on this journey. It gets dark. It's time to sleep. So he lays down. He pulls up his sleep number rock. And I mean, can you? I just don't get this, you know? I mean, I, my wife gave me a sleep number mattress this year for my birthday. Obviously, I've never slept before. This thing is amazing. But this guy's sleeping on a rock. He just pulls up a rock and he lays his head on this rock. And I I don't understand, you know, how does he have a dream? How does he even go to sleep with his head on a rock? But he does. He goes to sleep and he has this incredible encounter. And, and, you know, in the background music, Led Zeppelin is playing Stairway to Heaven. and, And he sees... These you know, angels are going up and down, and, and he, sees, he sees God. It's this incredible encounter. And he wakes up. He wakes up and he says, this place is unbelievable. This place is awesome. The, the presence of God is here. God is here, and I didn't even know it. See, he didn't stop there because God was there. He didn't know he was going to meet God. He just went to sleep. And God met him. And he wakes up and he goes, this is like the house of God. It's like a gate to heaven. It's like a portal to heaven. Well, there's a rule. As you study scriptures, there's a rule, especially applies to the Old Testament. It's called the rule of first mention. Have you heard of this? The rule of first mention says that the first time something is mentioned, that the definition that is given it in that first mention defines it forever. And so Jacob has this incredible encounter with God. And what does he say? He says, this is like the house of God. And it's the first time that that phrase house of God is mentioned and it defines it forever. Doesn't it make sense? The house of God is intended 
to be a place of encounter. That's its definition. The house of God is a place where we come to encounter God, to have an encounter with the living God. Now, there are a lot of things that you can do at church. And there are a lot of things that you can do as a church. There really are. I mean, you can get involved in the community. You can help schools, definitely. You can, you know, you can uh, do all sorts of outreaches, and you can have small groups in your homes, and you can do all sorts of things. You can do cool Bible studies and all sorts of, all sorts of things you can do as a church. But I've got to tell you that unless when you gather, it's a place of encounter, you're really not a church. You're just a group of people. What makes us the house of God is encounter. God defined it. So, Jacob has this encounter and he says, this is unbelievable. Now, understand, this is, it wasn't the place. It wasn't that you know, Jacob is wandering along and he just happens to stumble into this place where people encounter God all the time. It wasn't a geographical spot. You understand that God had been going along all, all along. As Jacob traveled on this journey, God had been with him the whole time. And on this particular time, in this particular night, in this particular dream, God comes to him and he has this unbelievable life-changing encounter. Now, I, I understand that. And I, and I, I will say that there, there is a, you know, there's an opinion that says you've got to go where God's doing stuff. Okay? And then there's the opinion that says, you know, God is everywhere and you just need to ask God to do something where you are. And honestly, I like both. I really do. I've been on both sides of the fence and I've decided that I'm just going to move back and forth. Uh, you know, I just don't care. I don't care who's right. I'm just going to get the best of both. Uh, you know, I, I mean, honestly... I don't want to identify one geographical location as the place that you have to go to to meet God. I mean, it's going to get really crowded. <clears throat> but I also don't want to take the posture that says, God, if you want to meet with me, you have to come where I am. Now, this kind of sounds like a seventh grade girl. I'm sorry. There's seven, there might be seventh grade girls in here. I'm sorry. It sounds like a seventh grade boy, too. Um, you know what I'm saying, though, right? You know, if... if it's got to be on my terms. And I don't want to take that posture with God, right? So, for me, if God's moving somewhere, you know, if there's a place in, in, that you know of where God is just really doing stuff, wouldn't it be kind of crazy not to go there? But then at the same time, if you know that God is everywhere, and you know the Bible says, "Where can I go to get away from God? You can't go here, can't go there. I'm rising, you know, I'm I'm running, I'm sitting down, I'm standing up. God's there. So if God is with us and He's pursuing us, and He wants to encounter us, then wouldn't it make sense, or wouldn't it be crazy if we didn't ask God to show up where we are? So I'm I'm just a fan of going where He is and asking Him to come where I am. Okay, so I, I do both. I I remember. Um, Back in 1983, where a lot of you were not born, 1983, I was about 24 years old, and my brother and I had a brother who was a few years younger than me, and John, his name is John, and John and I were doing a, a youth retreat together, and uh, we decided on a Saturday night, this youth retreat, 
that I would preach on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now the, the problem with that was that neither one of us really knew what that meant. I had, but I had read a book about it. So I was equipped. You know, I, I'd read this book all about being filled, and so I knew everything there was to know about it. And so I just stood up and I, and I preached from this book. And then we did this funny thing. We, we took a chair and we set this chair up in front of the group and we said, anybody who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just come and sit in this chair and we'll pray for you. And this girl got up and she walked up to the front. She sat down in a chair and uh, we started praying for her. And uh, we, we had read in, a, in the book that we were supposed to lay our hands on her head. And so we did. And we put our hands on her head and we prayed the prayer that we read in the book. And all of a sudden, the presence of God just flooded the room. And this girl starts laughing. Now, this is 1983. This was pre-Toronto. And I had never seen or heard of anything like this. But she starts laughing uncontrollably. And... I look at my brother and I motion, let's go outside. And so we leave her <clears throat> sitting in his chair laughing and in a, in a room full of teenagers watching. And we walk out the side door into the courtyard and I look at my brother and uh, I say, what do we do now? And he said, don't look at me. You started this. And I said, well, okay, here's the plan. We're going to go back in. And we're going to get her to say Jesus is Lord. And if she can say Jesus is Lord, we'll know she's not demon-possessed. I'm serious. This is a true story. I'm not making any of this up. And so we go back inside, and I get right down eyeball to eyeball with her, and I say, you know, Jesus is Lord. And she just yells at the top of her lungs, Jesus is Lord. And she keeps laughing and laughing. And my brother and I are kind of looking at each other. And then she stops laughing, and she lays down on the floor beside her chair and goes to sleep. Gospel truth. I look at my brother and I, I say, well, okay. I grab her shoulders and he grabs her feet and we carry over and we lay her against the wall. And then I walk back to the middle of the room and I said, next. <laughs> and seriously, kid after kid, these teenagers come and they sit in a chair and we pray. And every one of them, God just comes on them in this life-changing encounter. And some of them laughed and some of them cried. All of them slept. It was weird. We would pick them up and we'd just stack them over against the wall. And, uh, but, it, but this, you know, it was, it was crazy. But this particular night, that place in Anniston, Alabama, became a place of encounter. And those kids were changed through encountering God. And they were changed forever. I was telling the earlier uh, crowd, 1996, uh, Father's Day weekend, 1996, I decided to go to Brownsville. Uh, y'all know about Brownsville. And it started in 1995 on Father's Day, and I didn't know that it was a, this was the one-year anniversary. And see, my plan, because I had friends who had been, and they were all telling me, you need to go to Brownsville, you need to go to Brownsville, God's really moving down there. And, and at that point in my life, I kind of was, you know, on this side of the fence that says, you know, why can't God just come where I am? I mean, he's everywhere. He could do here what he's doing there. Why do I have to go to Brownsville? But I decided I would go. I bought a plane ticket by myself, 
flew to Brownsville. I didn't want anybody that I knew to go with me because I'd heard, you know. And I, if God was going to do some goofy stuff in me, I wanted no witnesses. So I'm down there. Now, I don't realize it's the one-year anniversary, so they're videotaping the whole thing. And if you want to see me, you can get the videotape because I am all through the thing. So, my, you know, I'm going down there incognito, but I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all over the video. And, but I go and I stay there for, you know, a couple of services. And, and it's awesome. I mean, I see things that I've never seen. I, I see people running down the aisle to be saved. And I mean, I've, I've always wanted to see that, just running down the aisle. I see people climbing over the chairs to get to the altar. I, I hear, you know, intercession like I've never had never heard before. People just interceding, just wailing. And, and the worship was incredible. And it was all, it was, it was great. And I got on the plane to fly back to Atlanta uh, and, uh, and then make the drive to Athens. And I remember I, I wrote in my journal on the plane. I'm glad I went. I'm really glad I went. God is obviously moving there. Um, you know, people are getting saved. It's a, I would say it's a genuine move of God. And then the last sentence I wrote was, I'm a little disappointed that God didn't do anything to me. Got home, got in my car, drove from Atlanta to Athens, pulled up in my driveway. My wife met me in the driveway. She said, kids are at a birthday party. And I said, hop in. Uh, Let's go get some food. And we drive to the Mexicali Grill. You know, over off College Station. And we're, we're sitting there, and we order our nachos. And I said, you know, I'll tell you about my trip. And we'll have, you know, it'll, it'll be great. And I reach across the table, and I, I take my wife's hand to pray for the blessing, like, like we always did. And the minute I begin to pray, I just start to weep. And I can't stop. I'm just, I'm just weeping. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And I look at my wife and I say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stop crying. And, and I'm just weeping in the nachos. And, and it's a mess. And I finally get myself together and, and I tell her about the trip. You know, we, we have our dinner and we go home. The next day we get up and, and it's Sunday morning and we go to church. And I walk into the church that we're, uh, at that time we were attending St. James. And we, we go to St. James Methodist Church and, and Jim Kilgo, just a dear, dear brother who's gone on to be with the Lord. He, he is our Sunday school teacher, and, and uh, he was the head of the English department at Georgia. And, and he walks into the class, and, and he opens up his Bible, and he starts reading the Scripture. And the minute he starts to read from God's Word, I just, I just start to weep. I can't stop crying. I'm just tears are running, and it's not a pretty cry. It's just ugly, and it's loud, and it's disruptive. And when this class is over, I just have to go up and say, "Jim, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stop crying." And we're going to church, and the pastor gets up, and he he's just going to do the pastoral prayer. It never hurt anybody. You know, I mean, the pastoral prayer is so harmless. And he just starts to pray. I just start to weep. And I can't stop. 
And I still can't stop. Because God met me. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. And I don't know. I'm not going to stand here and say that if I'd never gone to Brownsville, that I wouldn't have encountered God in that way and been changed. I'm not going to tell you that, but I will tell you this. I did, and I was. I did, and I was. Encounter, it's God's desire for us. I don't know if you know this or not, but the church, you know, the the world is not drawn to the church. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the, the world is not drawn to the church, but the world is drawn to the gate. The world is drawn to the gate. They're drawn to that portal, that place of encounter. You know why? Because they were created, whether they're lost or not, they were created by a relational God and they were created deep down with a desire to know Him. A desire to encounter this living God, to have relationship with Him. And they're hungry for that. And they may not be hungry for church, but they're hungry for the gate. They're hungry for the place of encounter. So doesn't it make sense if we want to reach the world that we would intentionally make our churches places of encounter? Because that's what people want. That's what they were made for. That's why they were created. To have encounter with the living God. So I'm going to look at that. I'm just going to mention some things that I believe are characteristics. Because you you look at Jacob. He was a grabber. And then he had this encounter. You know what the last sentence that we read was? The last sentence we read in the scripture is Jacob saying to God, whatever you give me, I'll give you back 10%. That's not a grabber. That's not a grabber. So God takes this grabber and he turns him into a giver. He takes this deceiver and he turns him into a server. He takes a manipulator and he turns him into a leader. And it all started in a place of encounter. So let's look at some characteristics of encounter. Number one, the place of encounter is often unexpected. It's unexpected. We have this idea, you know, that if we can get our act together, you know, if we can do certain things, that then we can we can have an encounter. You know, I, I think we, you know, it's 28 days, right? 28 days to form a habit. So if I could read my Bible 28 days in a row, then I can meet with God. You know, if I could fast for 28 days, then obviously God would write a message from heaven on the, on the wall in my bedroom and I'd know what to do. You know, there are certain things we think if I could go, you know, if I could keep from sinning for 28 minutes, then I, I, I could meet with God. And so we've had this idea. What we've created in our minds is that encounter is earned. And it's not. Jacob's life was a mess. His life was a mess. And God came and met with him. Place of encounter can be really unexpected. This is just a random place. It just happened to get dark. So he laid down to sleep and God met him there. Understand this. The place of encounter is not a place of merit. It's a place of grace. God's desire, the desire of his heart is to meet with you. 
And if you want to meet with him, he will meet with you, whether you deserve it or not. Okay? So, place of encounter is often unexpected. Second thing we'd say, I would say about the place of encounter is that it should be celebrated. Place of encounter should be celebrated. Don't, don't be ashamed of it. No. Celebrate it. Remember the things that God has done in your life. Remember the places where you have met God. Remember the places that you've gone to and encountered God and, and, and life change has occurred. Don't worship the places. Just celebrate them. Worship the God that you met in those places. But you don't have to be ashamed of those places. You know, you don't have to reach this place, you know, where, okay, I'm an adult now. I'm a grown-up person now, so I really, I really don't need to talk about that time back in eighth grade at youth camp where I had this unbelievable encounter with God. Yes, you do need to talk about that. That's testimony. Now, you don't, want, you don't need to... You know, as a 40-year-old, if the only encounter you've ever had with God was when you were in the 8th grade, that's a problem. But don't ever forget it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think you've grown out of it. Celebrate the encounters. Jacob wakes up and he goes, oh my gosh. What was that? God is here. I didn't even know it. What if? How, how would it change the story if Jacob had woke up the next morning and went, wow, that was a weird dream, and then just went on? It changes it, doesn't it? But he celebrated his encounter with God. Some of you have had encounters with God that you can't explain. You don't, you don't really know what to do with it and so because you don't know what quite what to do with it you've just buried it don't do that celebrate the times that you meet with god a third thing i would say is that encounters the place of encounter is meant to encourage now if you're familiar with the story then when god begins to speak to jacob and he starts to make all these promises to him the promises sound really familiar because it's the same promise that he made to Abraham. And so what God is saying to Jacob is, you're, you're the one. You're the one. I'm, I'm renewing, I, I'm, I'm transferring this covenant that I made with, with Abraham to you. And you're going to be a blessing, and I'm going to go with you, and, and your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth, and you're going to extend from the north to the south and from the east to the west. And I'm going to bless you. And you are going to bless the whole world. It's encouraging. I remember back in 1991, I'd, I'd been offered a job in Athens. And, and I was about to, to leave Marietta and go uh, to Athens to be the director of the Wesley Foundation. And if you know me at all, you know that I'm, I'm highly organized and meticulous, right? No, not at all. I, I, I'm so unorganized that I have to have people around me. I, I thank God that I have a wife who's organized. I have a daughter who's like an organizational prodigy. And, and they keep me out of trouble. But I'm getting ready to go to, to Athens. And this person, this friend of mine, says, you can't do that, job. You're going to be by yourself. You have no staff. It's just you and a secretary, and, and that is way out of your box. You're going to struggle. 
Thank you. <laughs> so, I, so I go to Athens, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm, I'm sitting on the deck now. If, if you if you've been you know, if you were around Wesley during those days, you'll remember there, there used to be a house next to Wesley Foundation, and we lived in that house for a few months, and then they we moved and bought a new house for for the Parsons, and they tore that house down and they built the the worship center, which is there now, but. At this time, we're living in this house on Lumpkin Street. I'm sitting on my deck behind the house. And I said, God, I can't do this. This job's too big for me. And he said, yes, you can. I brought you here. I picked you. I picked you. Now, think about this. That happens on a Tuesday night. The next day, Wednesday, it's summertime. We have a small Bible study with just a handful of students. And after the Bible study, this girl comes up to me. And she says, "Uh, we prayed you here. I said, really? She said, yeah. We prayed you here. Last summer. A group of us met downtown and we prayed and we said, God, you either have to send us a new leader or we're going to a different city. And we prayed and that night he said, I'm sending you a new leader. And she looked at me and she said, you were it. Well, as she's telling the story, my mind just races back and I remember that, that the previous summer, it was July the 4th, and I was at Marietta First Methodist Youth Camp. Jeff and Kibby DeJarnett, some of you all know them. Jeff and Kibby were leading worship. And I'm the youth pastor, and I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping, I'm enjoying it, I'm having a time of my life in the presence of God. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, God says, take a look around, this is the last one. And I look around and he, he says again, just you know, take a look around, enjoy it, soak it in. This is your last one as youth pastor. Wow. So I go home straight from camp and I walk into Charles Sinet's office and I say, I'm, I'm leaving um, after, after this year. When June comes around, you know, the end of the conference year, I'll, I'll be leaving. He says, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. I just know it's time to go. So fast forward. This girl walks up to me and she says, we prayed you here and it was last summer. And I say, do you know what day it was? And she said, oh, clearly it was July the 4th. And right then I knew God brought me here. He put me here for a purpose. I can do this. Not because of me, but because of him. The place of encounter is a place of encouragement. God comes. He meets Jacob. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. Every promise that I have made to you will come to pass. And I will not leave you until it does. A place of encouragement. Fourth thing I would say is that the place of encounter is designed to transform. It's designed to transform. You don't come out of encounter the same way you went into it, 
And you look at, at, at Jacob, we, we don't know everything that happened inside of Jacob that night. But we knew, do know that it was the beginning of a transformation that changed history. It really did. Uh, it was the beginning of Israel. Later on, uh, Jacob has a, another encounter with the Lord, and that's when God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. What an incredible thing. Encounter changed history. Encounter is designed to transform. And then the last thing I will say is that there's more than one place. That's the thing we need to do. To be aware of, when it, when it comes to the place of encounter, it sounds like we're talking about one place, you know, a geographical location. We're not talking about one place. The place of encounter is wherever you meet him. I've met God in some crazy places. I have. I've met him in tree houses. We, used to have, we built a little tree house in the backyard when we lived in Athens. And I could go in there, get in that treehouse, and nobody knew where I was. And I could be alone with God. I love to encounter God in my basement. My wife knows if I'm in the basement, she doesn't bother me. She leaves me alone. Phone doesn't ring. Kids don't come down there. I can go and I can encounter. I can be with God and be alone and, and enjoy His presence. But, you know, I, I've encountered the Lord in a car, just driving down the highway. Now, I will say, if it gets really strong, you should probably pull over. And, and definitely keep your eyes open. But, but you know, you, God will encounter you. He, he will come where you are. What does the Scripture say? It says clearly, you will seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We, we love to look for things, don't we? It, it's weird to me that we love to look for things that can't be found. I confess, my favorite television show is Search for Bigfoot. I love it. You know, don't you, you like that? I mean, but we're not going to find him. We're not going to find him. How much better, God says, if you seek me, you'll find him. There's multitude. There's a multitude of places of encounter. There's one person of encounter. Just one. And when, and when he comes on the scene, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And so, I, I guess the, the best word I could give you would be this. Whatever it is, in your life that's keeping you from seeking Him is not worth it. Whatever in your life, whether it's busyness or career or reputation or fear or shame, whatever it is that's keeping you from pursuing God and going to that place of encounter, it's not worth it. Let it go. Because in the place of encounter, in the place of encounter, everything comes clear. Everything comes into focus. 
Remember in Isaiah he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And His train filled the temple. And then he says, and looking at God, I saw myself. And he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. Tanner paraphrase, I'm really messed up and you guys aren't doing too good either. And my eyes have seen the King. That's a place of encounter. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with God showing you who you are. He then tells you who you can be. And the angel comes and puts the tongue, takes the tongs and puts the coal on his lips. And basically brings him into relationship with God. And he stands up and he says, the Lord says, who will go? Who can I send? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. That's what the place of encounter will do. The place of encounter will transform you. And it will launch you into being the man, being the woman, being the person that God has called you to be so that you can do the thing that God has called you to do. So, the world's looking for the, the gate. The world is drawn to the gate, the place of encounter, the portal, the place where heaven meets earth, and Led Zeppelin plays in the background. Uh, that's what the world's looking for. And we have to make a choice to be that. And to go to that place. All right. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in this room, even, there, there are so many of us in so many different places. There's some who, who are just regularly in that place of encounter and they're being changed, they're being transformed by you. And we thank, thank you for that. There's some, Lord, who, who would say, you know, I, I had this encounter in the eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, college. It's been so long. And others would say, I have no idea what that guy's talking about. <laughs> I have no clue what he's talking about. But Lord, I'm so thankful that today, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, you know exactly where they are and you know exactly what needs to take place in their life in order for them to move into that place of transformation that place of transforming encounter. And so, Lord, I pray today as we worship and as we pray that people would meet with you. Draw people to yourself. Reveal your heart to them today. Change people forever in the place of encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we have uh, some prayer teams that are going to be ready to pray for folks. If you want prayer or need prayer, I encourage you to, to come and receive from them. They, they'd love to pray for you. Uh, also, uh, if you want, uh, communion is, is over here available if you want that. Uh, we have baskets in the front uh, if you want to uh, bring an offering. Uh, but whatever you, whatever you do, I ask you to do this as, as we worship and we 
just go back into sincere and honest and just genuine worship of God, I, I ask you to just ask Him one simple question. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then do what He says. Listen to God and do what He says. He, he may tell you, you know, go get prayed for. He may ask. He may tell you, go go talk to so and so. He whatever he tells you to do, you need to do it. He may tell you, you know, get on your knees or, or kneel by your chair or lay on the floor. Listen to God and do what He says. Okay, all right. You stood before creation, sun out in your hand. You spoke the earth to motion, a soul now to stay. You stood before. I failed Carried the cross for my shame My sin weighed upon your shoulders My soul now to stand So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, freely to you. So what can I say? What can I say? Um, what can I do? Offer this heart, oh God, freely to you. So I walk upon salvation, the spirit of life in me. My life to declare your promise, so now to stay. So what can I say? So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Oh, so what can I say? 